Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 183 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Uh, hope you all are enjoying your holiday weekend. If you're listening on Saturday, if you're listening on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, if you're catching the wrap-up before you watch that Monday night, quote-unquote, triple header, um, Merry Christmas to you in advance from all of us here at Last Word on Sports. Happy Kwanzaa if you're celebrating. Happy belated Hanukkah. I think we wished you that one last week. And in advance, Happy New Year as we push to the end of the 2023 calendar year and the end of the 2023-24 NFL season. We'll dive into the big matchups this week, but first things first, we'll start this episode like we start each and every other with my standout seven. We're going to format it a little differently this week. We usually start bigger story for the top three, but we're just going to go with three big stories, and we'll get some internal debate as we get there. Number one in the standout seven's got to be, which team is on fraud watch leading the pack? Because we have seen a bit of a downfall for quite a few NFL contenders in the past handful of weeks here, if I'm going to be honest with you. You take a look at the playoff picture, and as always, as we push towards the postseason, I'll keep you up to date on the standings when we get there. You're talking about the two current two-seed in the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys. Not exactly putting out a good performance. We'll get there in a sec. The three-seed Detroit Lions have been up and down. The four-seed is going to be maybe an under 500 division winner. The five-seed is Philly. We'll get to them in a sec. You've got the Rams coming on strong. The Vikings, who knows what they are. On the AFC side of the coin, you've got Baltimore, which I'm not super sold on. It's weird. They're 11-3. and They're dominant for the most part. We'll talk Ravens-Jags in a sec here. You've got Miami that everyone's been talking about. The Chiefs, I wouldn't even put them on fraud watch because everyone knows they are not as good as their record, right? Their receiving core is not it. Jacksonville is fading. Cleveland is somehow 9-5. and five. Um, And then you've got a pack of 8-6 and six and 7-7 seven and seven squads pulling up the rear in the AFC. So let's get started with the teams that led me to putting this to lead our episode And it's the Monday night football game in which all Philly had to do was defeat Drew Locke. And if you've been around long enough, first of all, thank you for sticking around. I was actually a Drew Locke believer. I was like, eh, you know, it is what it is. Then he had, you know, he ended his rookie year. Little five-game stretch. He goes seven touchdowns to three picks, right? The second year, he goes four and nine as a starter. He didn't look great out there. However, you take a look at the receiving core for that team. I mean, it's Noah Fant, who's no longer with the squad. It's Jerry Judy, and then it's Tim Patrick as their third leading receiver. And I'm a Jerry Judy, I don't know if I'd say fan, but I do think he's a pretty good player. He just hasn't had that breakout in the NFL. And the longer he sticks around, Who knows if we're going to get there? Tim Patrick, a competent NFL wideout, but we're not exactly talking the Peyton Manning Bronco receiving core. Well, he winds up in Denver getting benched. He winds up going 0-3 his third year there. He's traded to Seattle, didn't start a game last year. Um, Didn't play a game, I don't believe. He goes three touchdowns to three picks this year. However, when it mattered, on Monday Night Football, Drew Locke, 
got the ball back and marched the team down the field. He hit Metcalf up the right sideline, and then he hit Jackson Smith and Jigba up the right sideline on similar routes. Go. (laughs) I mean, Metcalf put in some more work than Jackson Smith and Jigba needed to because there was two guys over there, but the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba was perfect. Great catch, great throw. Philly gets the ball back, and you're sitting there thinking, all right, they made a big deal pregame about Jalen Hurts' illness. I don't really know the details of it. I'm not sure that that has been made public. But you're talking about 28 seconds. Seattle's up by three. Three timeouts for Philly. And they're pushing towards the 40-yard line midfield. And he decides, you know what? Fudge it. I'm throwing it up to A.J. Brown. Uh, up the right sideline. Opposite sideline this time, obviously. Going the opposite way. And it's intercepted on a tremendous snag by Julian Love. Tremendous snag. Um, I'll admit, going into this game, hearing that Hertz was in fact going to play and Geno was not, I wasn't confident in Seattle's chances in this one. I thought, you know, well, actually, sorry, let me rephrase. Going in, we heard that Geno was going to be active. And then briefly before the game, we heard Geno's not going to start. And I'm thinking, all right, what is Pete Carroll cooking up here? Maybe they'll try and keep it close, and Geno can only go in the second half. Geno didn't touch the field. I am not certain why he was even active. But you know what? Kudos to Pete Carroll, because Seattle stays in it. As of right now, you take a look at the playoff picture. Seattle is just barely on the outside looking in. They are tied with the Minnesota Vikings at 7-7, and and the Vikings have to play Detroit this week. Seattle is going to take on the Titans. That puts Philly... Obviously, we've seen Philly get dismantled a couple of games in a row, which I wouldn't say puts you on fraud watch if you're losing to other playoff teams. Now, you get dismantled, sure. Um, But realistically, I think San Francisco is better than Philly. San Francisco hit a rough patch, and I'll admit my confidence waned, but when it came, push came to shove, at Lincoln Financial Field, San Francisco remembered that feeling of going home after that championship game. They remembered the pain, the anguish of having no quarterback, and realistically having no chance to win that game for the bulk of the game. Well, they took it out on the Philadelphia Eagles. Speaking of fraud watch, the Buffalo Bills are now 8-6. and six. They were gone and buried, gone, left in the dumpster, right? On most programs, but not, to my memory, on this one. Buffalo Bills, at 8-6 and six right now, are on the outside looking in. They are tied in a four-way tie with the Bengals and Colts who are in, the Texans who are ahead of them but out, and then they are the 9 seed. That being said, I did not expect the Dallas Cowboys to put up a hapless three points in three quarters performance in Buffalo. This was awful. And you take a look defensively, it's not like Josh Allen said, I'm him, remember me, I'm the MVP candidate. No, no, no. James Cook had 221 all-purpose, two touchdowns on 27 touches. They gave up over 250 yards rushing to the Bills. I've been screaming for years that the Bills should run the ball more. For years. 
a Bills team that's going to have balance offensively? Look out, American Football Conference. Look out. Cowboys, fraud watch. Let's take a look about the Cowboys' four losses. They lost to Philly. It is what it is. The Eagles lost to Dallas. It is what it is. Uh, obviously, you have this loss to the Bills, you have a loss to the 49ers, and you have that odd loss to the Cardinals. I'd say they're on fraud watch because their records are tremendous, and in big games in the same week, they didn't exactly act their record. Um, I want to, look, I'm not going to say Baltimore is fraudulent. They might be the one seed in the AFC. They might represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I'm just saying, in the words of Georgia St. Pierre, I was not impressed with your performance against an ailing Trevor Lawrence on Sunday Night Football. This is a game where the Jacksonville Jaguars did everything to lose. They missed two field goals in the first half. Trevor Lawrence fumbled when no one hit him. And then I believe they had a second fumble later. So you're talking immediately. Lawrence fumbles near the red zone. Let's say they get three, right? If their kicker showed up to the ball game, Brandon McManus, usually a decent kicker, we're talking 23-7 becomes what? Conservatively 23-13. This becomes a more interesting game. Oh, by the way, 23-7, Baltimore scored 13 of those points in the fourth quarter. So this is a 10-7 game. And at that point, Jacksonville had missed two field goals and had squandered a third drive because of an unforced error of a Trevor Lawrence fumble. Look, I'm a Jaguars believer. They're fading. They're falling to the pack. But, I mean, was this supposed to be some kind of an an dominant victory, rather? Was this supposed to impress me? Because it didn't. I mean, they brought it home. They did the job. It was competent. All right. I'll give you kudos for that. But, I mean, I was more impressed with Buffalo running the ball all over Dallas. I was more impressed with the things some of the 49ers' victories have shown. I mean, I'm not going to be that guy and tell you I was more impressed with the Dolphins shutting out the Jets, because it's the Jets. Um, But with no Tyreek Hill, that did send a little bit of a message against a team that everybody says their defense is tremendous, one of the best in the league, yada, yada, yada. Show me all the stats that mean nothing. Because Gang Green is going to be doing nothing in about a month. But that was a gratuitous shot. We didn't need to go there. Um, so who's the biggest fraud? I don't know. I think we'll find out in due time. I'm curious to see how Baltimore does against San Francisco on Christmas evening. I think that is going to be a potential, you know, I mean, as a one seed versus one seed game of the year sort of game. Will it pan out that way? If I was betting on it, I'd say no. I don't think it's going to be the game of the year. I think we've probably already seen it at this point, if I'm being honest. But hopeful for the postseason. Who knows? Number two in standout seven. Let's get positive. We always go negative first. It's kind of a tradition at this point. Who is the best sleeper Super Bowl threat among the playoff contenders? Now, what do I mean by a sleeper Super Bowl threat? Well, I'm going to eliminate the division winners. You will not count, which means I am not including San Francisco, currently Dallas, though they are tied with Philly, so I'm going to eliminate Philly too. The Detroit Lions and Tampa Bay, though you could make the argument Tampa Bay would definitely be a sleeper Super Bowl team, and as they are right now, it's hard to see it happening, but you never know. 
In the AFC, we're going to be eliminating Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, and Jacksonville. Let's start with the National Football Conference. Who does that leave us? Well, that leaves us currently with teams in the wild card hunt, which is what we're really referencing. You know what? I'll throw Tampa Bay in there. Tampa Bay, the Rams, the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Saints, and I guess you could say the Falcons and the Packers. I'm not going to say the Falcons or Packers are Super Bowl contenders. The Saints are too inconsistent. I wouldn't say them either. The Seahawks have an interesting mix of talent. Geno coming out of nowhere, obviously Metcalf at receiver with Smith and Jigba, and uh, Fanta tight end, Tyler Lockett as a deep threat, and oh, by the way, Kenneth Walker as a tremendous young running back. Mix that in with Bobby Wagner back on their defense, some of their young playmakers in the secondary, and the fact that now they have the confidence of having beaten Philly, They will have faced San Francisco twice. It's hard to beat a team three times. Could I see Seattle being that sleeper team, making a miracle run out of the NFC? It's possible. I will say right now, as an NFC sleeper team, I have them as either my number two or number three. Probably number two. Uh, Number three is not Minnesota. If Cousins were still around, I would say that, you know what, let's see if they can make a run one time for the one time, right? Um, Dobbs on the pine, uh, I would say Byron Mullins, former Charlotte Bobcat, if anyone gets that reference. Um, Nick Mullins at QB, he looks okay. I mean, Justin Jefferson's been nicked up for the bulk of the year. Could they make a run? Maybe. I wouldn't bet on it. So right now, I've got Seattle's my number two, my number three doing this completely and utterly out of order, but in order of the standings, I guess would be Tampa Bay. I don't know if Baker Mayfield can do it. I mean, Mike Evans is still there. He's got Chris Godwin. Rashad White's doing the thing in the backfield. There's some pedigree there. You've got a defensive coach in Todd Bowles. You can come up with a decent game plan. I mean, as we take a look at the games that they've played this year, Are they really in that position? I mean, they lose by two scores to San Fran. They lose to a Gardner Minshew-led Indy team. They win by a field goal over the Panthers. Eh, I'm not buying it. Um, You know what? I'm going to eliminate them. We had them eliminated. I brought them back in. I eliminated them again. So I've got now, we're changing the system. It's 1 and 1A. I've got Seattle as 1A. My number one sleeper pick in the NFC has got to be the Rams. I've been talking about this for weeks. That the way the schedule was playing out, with the way this team is getting healthy, right now, the LA Rams are sitting at 8-7. They have a half-game lead over Minnesota, Seattle, and a full-game lead over the Saints. Right. As we sit right now, obviously they played... Thursday night football, a pretty impressive win. Not super impressive, but a pretty decent win, I would say, against New Orleans. You give up 320 and three touchdowns to Derek Carr, that's not really impressive, but on the offensive side, they did more than enough. And quite honestly, the bulk of those stats were put up in garbage time. It was 27-7 to to start the fourth quarter. You want to say, oh, it was a good fight by New Orleans? Yeah, I guess. When they blocked the punt and kind of fluked their way back into making this a one-score game. Let's be frank. Stafford, 24-34, big number, no interceptions. 324, two touchdowns. He likes to throw the ball to the other team. Did it last year. Did it a little bit this year. Kyron Williams back as their lead back. 
104 yards on 22 carries. Oh, by the way, Puka Nakua, a buck 60 receiving. Demarcus Robinson with 80 and a touchdown, 82, excuse me. I believe every single yard of it in the first half. Tyler Higby pitched in 30 yards and Cooper Cup, six catches for 52. I mean, you're talking a passing, or rather just an offense as a whole that can be a genuine threat if their offensive line can give Stafford time and open up some holes for Kyron Williams. Can they do that against a team like San Francisco? Um, We're going to find out. Because on New Year's Eve, they're in Jersey playing the Giants, and then on January 7th, the final week of our season, week 18, they're going to go to Santa Clara to take on the Niners. Are the Niners going to need that game? I don't know. Will San Francisco, excuse me, will the Rams need that game? I'm not sure of that either. You take a look back earlier in the season. 30-23, to 23, the Niners beat the Rams. Relatively competitive game. Oh, by the way, in that game, Matthew Stafford, what's the important number? Interceptions threw the ball to the other team twice. Oh, by the way, no Cooper Cup in that game. Not on the field at all. Still injured. Halftime of this game, it was 17-17. We talk about championship pedigree and things like that. It's a little corny. I get it. Maybe some people won't like it. But the fact of the matter is, this is a Super Bowl champion in the recent years. Super Bowl winning quarterback, Super Bowl MVP caliber receiver, Super Bowl winning head coach in John McVay. My sleeper team, and one of the real reasons I wanted to talk about this while also breaking down that Thursday night game a little bit, is the Rams are legit. Look, you know, two weeks from now I might be laughing because they lost to Tommy DeVito and didn't even make the playoffs. But as we sit right here, would it shock you? The way things are lining up, Would it shock you if they upset the Detroit Lions? Look, the Lions are a good team. They're a little fraudulent, too. They've had some up and downs. But you're talking Matthew Stafford leading the sixth seed back to take on, in Ford Field, the three-seed Detroit Lions. Come on. that's. I know people say the league is scripted, but if they're both going to make the playoffs, can we please have the seeding lineup nice like that? Please? Thank you. Um... On the AFC side, sleeper contender. Let's start from the top of the wild card. As weird as it sounds, Joe Flacco seems to be throwing the ball pretty confidently back there for the Browns. I wouldn't say that I'd put money on it, right? Because they don't have Nick Chubb and their running game. I like Jerome Ford, you know, but it hasn't been as potent, obviously, without one of the best backs in the league. Their defense seems pretty good. Seems pretty darn good. Flacco will throw the ball to the other team, though, he's shown, as he did against the Bears. I don't know. Let's see how they do against Houston, although they're not going to have C.J. Stroud. It's kind of like a mini play-in tournament here with some of these teams facing each other, right? We've got Cleveland taking on Houston. We've got Cincinnati taking on Pittsburgh. We've got Indy going cross-conference taking on the Falcons, who are trying to win their division. And oh, by the way, you've still got the Broncos trying to push up the rear and find their way into the postseason. Um, Sneaky teams is what we're talking about, right? If Anthony Richardson, I say this every week, I feel like, if Anthony Richardson was still around, it'd be the Colts. For me. I like Michael Pittman a lot. I like Jonathan Taylor. I like this Colts team. Their defense can be a little porous, but somehow they're able to put up points and win some shootouts now and again. Uh, The obvious one, I guess, would be Cincinnati on the Jeff Hostetler sort of train. Jake Browning stepping in, 
not like Nick Foles on a team that's ready-made near the top of their conference, but stepping into a team in the playoff mix after a slow start and trying to pull it off. It would be very impressive. I mean, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, still there. Joe Mixon, still there. The defensive core, still there. Zach Taylor. If I can say the Rams have the pedigree, I mean, the Bengals were, what, a good block on the last play away from winning that Super Bowl over the Rams? Bengals could be sneaky. Um, The Texans fall out of my sleeper pick here, both because they're on the bubble right now and because of C.J. Stroud's concussion. But realistically, it started the, the fall for me when Tank Dell went down. Because I don't think their skill position talent is all that great, and the depth is not great at all. So without Tank Dell, who'd kind of, you know, buddy-buddy with C.J. Stroud, bursting on the scene as a rising star receiver combo with C.J. Stroud, it's hard for me to put that together. The obvious one and the one that I'm inevitably going to take here, as we say, probably not to Pittsburgh, even though we'll talk about them in a sec, is Buffalo, right? I've said it before, it's not the year that you're 14-2 and that you usually win it. For some reason, you know, and it happens, right? I shouldn't say it's not the team. It's the year that the team that's usually dominant hits some bumps in the road, and they have to scratch and claw, and they have to peak when it matters. You can't peak in Week 8 when you're beating up on some other team that's got three injuries and they're a fellow contender, but those guys will be back for the postseason rematch. That's not what matters. Peaking late in the season, and look, it's easier said than done, but when you need to win these games, it kind of forces you into trying to find that extra oomph, that next gear you can shift into. And with some of the murmurings, especially after the weird comments which Sean McDermott got unearthed from all these years ago, some of the murmurings that they might consider a coaching change, though I'm not necessarily certain that would be a great move. Uh, If they miss the playoffs, I could understand that if they make the playoffs and lose again... I don't know. Um, We'll see how that plays out. But either way, this could be the year for Buffalo. Look, you want to place a Hail Mary parlay if these teams make the postseason. Pair together Buffalo winning the AFC and the Rams winning the NFC. And I tell you what, I think that'd be a pretty entertaining Super Bowl. Two QBs who can gunsling a little bit, but two teams that'll also run the ball. Kyron Williams is toting the rock for the Rams, and if Buffalo can remember that the running game exists, they can upset some teams. Another team I'm going to put in here, I said I'm out on Pittsburgh because I don't know Pickett's health as we move forward. Obviously, the Raiders and Chargers are only here on the playoff picture just because they haven't officially been eliminated. I'm going to put Denver in here because, as weird as it sounds, and I'm not super high on the Denver Broncos, I wasn't going into the season. I believe I picked them to finish last. Russell Wilson is still a Super Bowl champion quarterback who has a little bit of that, more than a little bit, of that flair for when things start to break down. He doesn't have the mobility he once had, that's true, but he still has the improvisation skills and the arm, for the most part, to piece these plays together. Is Cortland Sutton the same caliber receiver of a Stefan Diggs? I wouldn't go that far. Is he a even an Amon Ra St. Brown? I don't know if I'd go that far either, but he is pretty darn good. And they have been able to piece it together, and we're not too far removed when it comes to the Denver Broncos from Javante Williams being a quality young lead back. 
I know he's battled some injuries, and look, I know his stats this year aren't tremendous, but I think Javante Williams, if he can get hot, if their O-line can keep it together, I think he can help pitch in. And look, you're looking at Russell's stats on the year, 66% completion percentage, which is darn good, right? 24 touchdowns to 8 picks. I mean, it's not bad. It's really not a bad season. Sutton's their leading wideout. Jerry Judy's second with 45 snags. And then, realistically, the part that it falls off is after that. I mean, you've got the next three leading receivers are running backs. Samadji P. Ryan with 41 catches is their third leading receiver. They've gotten no production out of the tight end position. And that's a big problem. Right? I mean, Adam Troutman is their leading wideout at tight end. Got 170 receiving yards. I mean, no beef with Adam Troutman. Obviously, he came over. He was in New Orleans before. I mean, the guy's never had a 300-yard receiving year. They need to beef that up a little bit. And on the defensive side, I mean, I like PS2, right? I like Justin Simmons. Kareem Jackson's had a questionable year because of the hits, right? Um, I don't know. I think they're a weird team. Because you're looking, at the end of the day, and we have to honor it, you're looking at a Super Bowl champion coach who had the guts to onside kick to start a half in the Super Bowl against a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. If he's got that level of chutzpah and creativity and willingness to put them together, who knows what they can piece together. Um, And pair it with Russell, potentially, you know, if you win the Super Bowl... With a second team, you're really bolstering that Hall of Fame argument, that Hall of Fame legacy. I wouldn't put him high, you know what I mean? I wouldn't throw $5 on it, but uh, behind Buffalo and Cincinnati? Maybe. Maybe behind Cleveland as well. But, uh, alrighty. There's our sleeper threats for the Super Bowl, obviously not including San Francisco and Baltimore, who might even be a Super Bowl predictive match this week. Um, either way, that takes us to number three in the standout seven. I wanted to take a look at the AFC South. Who's the best team in this division right now? Right now, the Colts are leading, sorry, no, the Jags are leading the division at eight and six. The Colts are trailing at eight and six, and the Texans are in third, you guessed it, at eight and six. Who do the Jaguars have left? Well, good question. They've got that in-state rivalry game. Sunday, 4.05 p.m. against Tampa Bay. Won't be an easy win. Then they've got Carolina. Should be an easy win. Then they end in Tennessee. Okay. Tennessee could play a role in deciding their division. That's all you want. If you're not going to be a playoff team, and it looks like they're not going to pick number one, let's play spoiler for somebody. Colts, second place right now. Who do they got? Well, they're in Atlanta taking on the Falcons. Will the Falcons ever give the ball to their talented Receivers and running backs and tight ends. No, probably not. Um, Winnable game. Then they've got December 31st. They are at home against the Raiders. Another winnable game. It may come down to their matchup in Week 18 against the Texans. Who do the Texans have the next two weeks? Well, they're facing Cleveland without C.J. Stroud. That's a problem. The next week, they're taking on the Titans in Houston. Okay, well, we mentioned the Titans playing a role in this division. That could be it. Will Stroud even be back for that game? And then obviously, as we said, they end in Indy. Right now, my money would still be on the lead dog from the beginning of the year, 
the Jacksonville Jaguars. It would not shock anyone if they beat Tampa Bay. It would not shock anyone if they beat Carolina. It would not shock anyone if they won out by defeating Tennessee in Week 18. However, if I'm going to pick from the other two teams, it's going to be really hard for me to pick a C.J. Stroud-led team without C.J. Stroud. Colts-Falcons could be the one of the weirdest good games of the year. Nobody going in would think that Colts-Falcons would have playoff implications in Week 16 start of the season, and that's why they play the games. That's why we don't get access to the script early. I mean, that's why you got to watch any week, any given Sunday, that sort of thing. Would it shock you if the Colts won out? If they beat Atlanta in Atlanta, beat the Raiders, and then, depending on Stroud's health, beat the Texans to also finish the year with 11 wins. Especially now that Jonathan Taylor's going to be back for them. Their bell cow, back in the backfield. Going to help out Gardner Minshew. I would be surprised if I was handicapping this if the Texans won this division. And I asked the question, which one of them is the best team? I would say, arguably, definitively, Jacksonville is the best team in this division. Based on the current situation we're in. With Tennessee, excuse me, with uh, Houston running out of backup quarterback... I would say Indy's better than them. With Stroud out there, we'd have a debate, but I'd probably still lean Indy. I'd say that the way the standings are positioned right now is probably accurate, if I'm being honest, considering the Tank Dell injury, the way it derails part of their passing game and things like that. Um, I think Houston right now, as we said, sitting at 8-6, and six, it wouldn't shock me if it ended 9-8. and eight, Because Cleveland needs this game as much as Houston does. Houston might need, arguably needs it more because they're on the bubble, but Cleveland needs this game too. They really do. And honestly, sitting at 9-5, and five, they're not super far away from the Baltimore Ravens. And they might be thinking, well, Baltimore's got to face who? The Niners, the Dolphins, and the Steelers? Cleveland could try and sneak their way in to the division. It would surprise some folks. It surprise a lot of folks. But, I mean, they've got Houston with no Stroud. They've got the Jets, Thursday night football. And then they've got Cincinnati with Jake Browning to end the year. It's doable. I mean, the Browns beat the Bengals 24-3 when Joe Burrow was playing. He played in that game. I don't know. Intriguing to me. Right now, AFC South, got to keep it as is. Jaguars are the best team, best chance to win the division. If it's not the Jags, I'd say it's Indy, and then Houston, due to the injuries, in third. Number four in the standout seven. You know we can't keep it going until we wrap up the primetime games, but I think we've pretty much gotten there. Is there anything else I need to touch on? Um, We talked about Ravens-Jaguars. Look, Raven fan, if you're angry, comment section. If where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Look, it's, it's a win over a contender, you know. I don't mean to demean it that bad, but, but... Look, I'm just saying, it's the scoreboard says 23-7, and that game was closer than 23-7 in my book. I'm just being that guy. Um, we talked Eagles-Seahawks Battle of the Birds, and we also talked a little bit about Rams-Saints. Not much else to go on there. So you know what? We'll just keep it pushing, and we'll go straight in to number five in the standout seven, and we need to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
because, and this is an old quote at this point, this is an eight-day-old, so we could have talked about it last week, we did not. Big Ben Roethlisberger, Steeler legend, I would say, uh, inarguably, said, quote, maybe the tradition of the Pittsburgh Steelers is done on his podcast, which I believe is pronounced footballin', B-A-H-L-I-N. He continued, you can't afford in the second half of games to burn silly timeouts and not have them late game. To me, that's bad coaching. That's some feel you have to have in those situations because timeouts can be so valuable, as we saw in this game. If we have one more timeout there, we get a completion. We can work the middle of the field, and you give Boz a chance for a 60-yarder. Give him a chance. Maybe he ties the game. Oh, sorry, he says he will tie the game. I like my chances in OT because they scored all their points early and the momentum had shifted. He's referring, of course, to the Thursday night loss they suffered at the hands of the New England Patriots at that point. Um, this past weekend, we talked about, excuse me, this was one weekend ago. Um, they lost to Indy. They were up 13 nothing, and they lost 30 to nothing from that point on. And Trubisky was not good, and he winds up getting benched. And Gardner Mitchell throws for three touchdowns. They give up over 150 yards on the ground to Trey Sermon and Tyler Goodson, who's on no one's fantasy team on the earth. Um, like they had no business. They had no business giving up that kind of stuff on the ground. The point I want to get to here, and I think we've touched on it earlier in the year, is sometimes you just need a change of scenery. And I think we might be at that point with Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin is one of the better coaches in the league. However, we need to acknowledge the fact that in the last 10 years, and I'll go to 2013, they have made the playoffs six times. They've lost in the wild card round three times, twice in the divisional, and then they lost once in the conference championship in 2016. Um to New England, and they got blown out in that game. It hasn't been working. I mean, they're 12-4 and a couple of years ago. I said it then. You can go back through and listen to the episodes. They were one of the worst 12-4 and teams I've ever seen. And they go out there, and they get utterly demolished by who? The Cleveland Browns. Now, the scoreboard says they lost 48-37. They gave up 35 in the first half to the Cleveland Browns. By the way, a team that loved their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, so much that he's not on the team anymore. He was their QB in that game, by the way. I mean, the leading receiver for the Browns was Austin Hooper. The Pittsburgh Steelers fudged the Huggies in prime time in the postseason in that one. Um, it's just not working. And is part of that Pickett being injured, Pickett not being the guy, perhaps... Um, but even late in Ben's career, they just couldn't get over that hump. The Antonio Brown thing, you know, winds up off the team. Le'Veon Bell holds out, kind of derails their, you know, offense. Uh, they go with James Conner, who's a pretty good back, right? But he's not Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was never Le'Veon Bell again. You also take a look, and I'm not trying to be that guy, but it's, it's my job. I like Mike Tomlin. Um, you take a look at the Super Bowl team forever ago, and the 08 Super Bowl champ team had a lot of tendrils from the first Super Bowl team, right? Obviously, James Harrison had blossomed into a completely different player by 08. 
but I mean, you take a look at the stats. I mean, he was on that 05 team, right? He wasn't the same guy, but he was in that room. Um, Palomalu, obviously still around. Santonio Holmes was the big addition, and obviously he makes the big catch. Hines Ward was the leading receiver for both. Heath Miller was the tight end. He was there. Obviously, they'd moved on from the bus and Willie Parker into a uh, running game led by, well, actually, no, excuse me. Willie Parker was still there. I take it back. I thought Willie Parker had moved on. I was looking at the uh, 2012 Super Bowl earlier. Excuse me, 2010. Point being, team building, I guess, to a championship level just hasn't been there in a minute. Uh, whether by hook or by crook, I mean, Baltimore's been real good. They got to the Super Bowl once in the last 10 years, right? I think that was even, let's see. Let me pin this down here as we usher into, uh, actually, a rematch of that Baltimore Ravens Super Bowl this week. That was way back in 2012. So a Baltimore team with Harbaugh, who's been here forever also. You take a look at the last 10 years for them. Three divisional round losses, two wildcard losses. And they missed the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six times if we go counting the 2013 season. Um, excuse me, not five times. Um, it's a hard division, right? But evidently, it's just not happening right now. So uh, I think Pittsburgh might need to realistically consider. And look, I'm not saying you outright fire Tomlin. I think Tomlin's still got value and cachet and at the end of the day, if he still wants to coach, I think maybe you put it into a situation where you try and trade him. Try and see uh, what you can bring back to the team for Mike Tomlin. Um, and realistically, that transitions us into number six in the standout seven, where I'm going from a situation where, you know, defending Mike Tomlin, I like Mike Tomlin. I'm a New York guy, and I'm going to have to talk about, you know, why is everyone throwing Bill Belichick under the bus? I feel like I'm the Bill Belichick defender now. Um, I just want to talk about this because there's a rumor that I've seen, and realistically, conjecture, why not? Let's chat about it. That's really what it's out there for, I guess, yeah. Um, there's a rumor that Robert Kraft, behind the scenes, is potentially sending out some feelers and is going to hold a little bit of a bidding war for Bill Belichick's services in the offseason. And... I don't know that Bill is just going to go to some random team and coach. I don't know that Bill's going to go to some random team and even be a GM. Would you want his general manager services? Would you want his, obviously you'd want him as a coach. But, uh, I mean, in the last four years, in the post-Brady era, they go 7-9 and nine the first year. They bring in Mac Jones. They go 10-7. and seven. Then they're 8-9, and nine, which is just barely good enough, right? You're talking over 500, just barely under 500 for two of those years. And then this year, obviously, they've been awful, right? And um, realistically, one of the reasons I wanted to discuss this as well, I hear on the New York radio when I'm running errands, doing my thing, uh, Bart Scott. And look, I, this is just something I got to bring up here. The amount of people in the media, uh, and I use the term as an amalgamous, an amalgous, like, body, right? People with microphones that are talking into your ears like me, um... There are so many people in the former player slash former coach bracket that are behind closed doors, almost certainly so ecstatic to see this empire have fallen like it did. And look, I get it, but you're talking, and we'll get to this in a sec, where we talked about Rex Ryan a couple of weeks ago, a guy whose career couldn't even imagine 
to sniff like a four year period of Bill Belichick's career. I mean, look, I didn't think Rex was a bad coach, but like he gets a chance to go go up. Oh, you know what? Let's rip him. Let's tear him down while we can. Come on. And then you have Bart Scott on Barton Hahn, uh, ESPN Radio, discussing how the Patriots ruined Mac Jones. They ruined Mac. I thought Mac Jones was a decent QB. I mean, the guy was a pro bowler because he replaced 17 other guys who didn't want to go. Um, realistically, is Mac Jones great? I don't know. When you look at Mac Jones, what makes you think Mac Jones is tremendous? You know what I look at when I see Mac Jones' college stats? I see Brock Purdy right now. Let's talk about Mac Jones 2020 for the Alabama Crimson Tide, right? Because the year prior, he goes 14 touchdowns, 3 picks in 12 games, right? 13 games, and that was only 140 attempts, by the way, right? Making appearances at the tail end of games and things like that. 311 for 402, 77% completion percentage, which is unheard of. 4,500 yards, 41 touchdowns to 4 picks. Man, they must have been great. He had almost 2,000 of those yards to Devontae Smith. Then, 900 yards to John Mechie, who's also an NFL receiver. Obviously had an issue, that uh, health issue, and hasn't had the career start off the way he would have liked, obviously. But he's still an NFL talent, and we'll see how he pans out. Uh, Their number three receiver that year is some guy you may have heard of called Jalen Waddell. So you're talking... 3,200 of those yards to NFL wide receivers. Okay, well, let's take a look at their backfield. Maybe maybe their running game was bad. Their lead back was Najee Harris. He had 26 touchdowns. He averaged almost six yards a carry. All right, well, like, did he have a good backup? Like, Brian Robinson Jr. was his backup. Like, this is a typical Alabama stacked, stacked, stacked team. Like... You can't tell me that you think this guy is going to be some kind of a megastar, right? Because right after Mac left, the next year Bryce Young stepped right in and went 47 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. Immediately. Stepped right in like there was no problem. He didn't have Najee Harris in his backfield. They only had Brian Robinson. He also didn't have Devontae Smith, the receiver. Instead, he had Mechie and Jamison Williams. Like, it's Alabama. Of course, the quarterback or whoever, somebody on that team is going to put up crazy stats. Mac Jones was a pretty good NFL QB as a rookie. And last year, he wasn't very good. And this year, he hasn't been very good either. But you know what? Neither is the talent around him. Which is why I was getting at before, if Bill's not coaching, is someone going to want him? Because he hasn't built a competent... Look, I'll be, call a spade a spade. He has not built a competent receiving core for Mac Jones. And reportedly, part of the reason Brady wanted to go, other than them butting heads over the years, is he felt that they weren't putting as much talent around him or investing in the right talent to put at the skill positions, yada, yada, yada. Um, Was he wrong? You know, but at the same time, Bill is the guy that took the chance on Rob Gronkowski. Bill's the guy who brought a disgruntled Randy Moss and paired him with Tom Brady and said, this is going to work. And it did. Bill's the guy that sells high on aging veterans. Like, I don't know. I sooner think, unless it becomes a pride thing, I think Bill might hang him up before he goes and coaches another random team. People have talked about, and this was a few years ago, they discussed the connections with the Giants, and it's true, he worked for them forever ago. 
does he want to work for them again? I have no, I have no idea. Why would he want to go back to a place he's already been where he was on the defensive staff and won the Super Bowl? What does he have to prove in doing that? Oh, he wants to win one after Brady. Does he? I think Bill would be content if they would give him the option to hand the team off maybe to Steve Belichick, who's working in the coaching staff. Does Steve want to be a head coach? Does Steve want to be a head coach in New England? Does he want to work there after his father's gone? Will he be given the opportunity? Um, I don't know. It's an intriguing rumor to me, and I understand why some teams would want Bill Belichick to be somehow involved in their scheme, in their game planning, in everything they're doing, because he is the best coach in the history of the NFL. But I'd say pump your brakes. Particularly if we're walking into a situation where a Mike Tomlin might be in a situation where he could get traded or relieved of his duties and be available. Am I saying Tomlin is a better coach than Belichick? No. I would never make that argument. However, I think it'd be a lot cheaper to get Mike Tomlin. He's accomplished less. I'll give you that. But let's be fair. His teams have not gone down to the level that Belichick's team has this year. That is true. Inarguably. Number seven in the standout seven. We talked playoff picture already. Let's talk some news and notes, and then let's get into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode. But first, a couple of news and notes things here. Uh, Big Dom banned for the rest of the regular season from the sideline. Okay, cool. Uh, Also, we had a little bit of a mini altercation with Seattle and Philly, and it turned out it wasn't a staffer, as Joe Buck said. It was actually an offensive lineman, I think, a backup offensive lineman. Uh, Sorry, a practice squad player. Not sure if he's offensive line. I think I read he was. Um, he was fined like 1500 bucks because the fine scale with your salary. Okay, I mean, he bumped A.J. Brown. I'm surprised there was no fracas that ensued there or no ejection or no penalty or no whatever. People saying that player should be banned and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of weird to me how many people are still defending the big Dom thing. I think it's like the blind Philly fandom. Um, look, Philly fan, you could... You got bigger fish to fry than a large man on your sideline. Like, the fact of the matter is he pushed Greenlaw before Greenlaw put his hand towards Dom's face. And also, I mean, he, like, flicked his cheek. Let's be frank here. Did he intend to do more than that? He probably did. But he didn't. Like, what do you want me to tell you? Anyway, um, Baltimore's running back, Keaton Mitchell, is going to be done for the season, which is a pretty significant loss, I would say, for them. They've had... Injuries after injury after injury at their running back position for years now. Very bad luck. Um, Trevor Lawrence in the concussion protocol. We'll talk injury report in a little bit here. See if he's going to go this week. Uh, CJ Stroud, I believe, is listed explicitly as out. We would discuss that earlier. Yep, he's going to miss this one against Cleveland. Kenny Pickett is not going to play for Pittsburgh, but Cam Hayward on the D-line is returning. He is out of the concussion protocol. Uh, Geno Smith is going to be a go for the Seattle Seahawks this week. Tyreek Hill and Devon Achan, uh, likely both in this week. Um, And Trevor Simeon is going to go for the Jets because Zach Wilson will not be able to go. He was injured uh, in last week's action. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven. Take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of each week's episode, the pick'em portion. And we're going to get started 
with a Saturday 4.30 kick between two AFC North playoff hopefuls. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Acrisure, not Heinz, Stadium in Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. This one's on NBC, by the way. Bengals going to be without wide receiver Jamar Chase with a shoulder injury. Pittsburgh going to be without their QB, Kenny Pickett, with an ankle, as well as two safeties in Trenton Thompson with a neck and Minka Fitzpatrick with a knee injury. Questionable, a third safety in Elijah Riley with an ankle. I'm not going to lie to you folks. We picked the games for Saturday before we signed off last week, just in case the holiday weekend got a little iffy and we got the episode out late. Um, I picked the Bengals last week, and I'm going to stick with the Bengals. I think that is an accurate pick, and Mason Rudolph is going to have to prove me wrong uh, and deliver an early Christmas present to Pittsburgh, but uh, I'm not buying that one. Next in the nightcap on Saturday, 8 p.m., the Buffalo Bills head to L.A. to take on the brand-new head coach, brand-new GM-led L.A. Chargers. Bills are going to be without wide receiver Justin Shorter with a hammy and safety Micah Hyde with a neck stinger. Questionable, backup running back Ty Johnson with a shoulder, two D-linemen and Daquan Jones with a peck, and A.J. Epinesa with a rib and corner, Kyir Lamb with an ankle injury. Chargers going to be without two huge ones in an already kind of floundering season. They're without Herbert. They're going to be without Keenan Allen with a heel injury and Joey Bosa with a foot. Doubtful, linebacker Tanner Muse with a knee and D.B. Dean Leonard with a heel. Questionable, D-lineman Nick Williams with a shoulder, corner Isang Basse with a concussion, and tight end Nick Vanette. Yeah, the the Chargers are not winning this game. Look, I picked Bills last week. I'm going to stand by that one. Give me Buffalo to win this one on the road. By the way, this one is listed as a Peacock broadcast. If you're going to be tuning into this one and you are not in the immediate market, supposedly, uh, which would be, I guess, the L.A. area, California, and New York, Tri-state area in New York. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Uh, you're going to need to see this one on Peacock Online. Unless you may happen to have some other ways to view it. Of course, go to a, you know, a Buffalo Wild Wings is what I'm referring to. But uh, anyway, that's the end of our Saturday slate. It takes us into a packed Sunday. Our first game is a battle between two non-contenders. Unfortunately, as the Washington Commanders head to New Jersey on Christmas Eve to take on the New York Jets. Commander's going to be without the aforementioned running back Brian Robinson Jr. with a hammy, as well as two O-linemen and Tyler Larson with a knee and Charles Leno Jr. with a calf. Questionable for this one, safety Percy Butler. The Jets going to be without starting QB Aaron Rodgers with an Achilles, though he is on the 53 now. Um, and backup slash former starting QB Zach Wilson, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable for this one. Offensive lineman Dwayne Brown with a back injury. Defensive lineman Jonathan Franklin Myers with a hip. DB Jordan Whitehead with a knee. And running back Israel Abanikanda. Abanikanda. I think I got that one right. All-name team nomination. We'll be doing the all-name team probably when we get to the Pro Bowl week when we got a little bit of filler. Uh, either way, those are your injuries. And this is a 4-10 Commanders team against a 5-9 Jets team being led by Trevor Simeon. I'm going to take the Commanders just on the fact that, you know what, maybe Sam Howell will throw for 340 yards and only throw the ball to the other team once or twice. Give me the Commanders to win this one on the road. Next, we've got a very important matchup between two NFC North teams as the Minnesota Vikings play host to the Detroit Lions. 
Lions going to be without their fullback, Jason Cabindo, with a knee injury, as well as tight end Brock Wright with a hip, and two DBs in Jerry Jacobs with a hammy and CJ GJ, CJ Gardner-Johnson, that is, with a pectoral injury. Doubtful linebacker Derek Barnes with a shoulder. Vikings going to be without wide receiver Jalen Naylor, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as corner Byron Murphy Jr. with a knee. Questionable, a laundry list, and an impactful one at that. Running back Alexander Madison with an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Brian O'Neill with an ankle injury. D-lineman Harrison Phillips with a back, as well as Jonathan Bullard with an ankle. Linebackers Jordan Hicks with a shin and Ivan Pace Jr. Also listed as questionable. I'm going to take Detroit. I know Detroit has been hit or miss, um, but they've hit more than they missed this year. They're sitting at 10-4. and four. They're looking at their biggest, you know, I, I guess you could say contender in their division. If they move to 11 wins here, my math ain't so good, but would that not lock up the division for the Detroit Pack, the Detroit, the Detroit Lions? The Packers are already sitting at eight losses. If the Vikings move to eight losses, that would clinch the division. You know what? Why not clinch? Um, give me Detroit to win this one on the road. Our next game is one that also has some significant playoff implications as the Cleveland Browns head to Houston's Energy Stadium to take on the Texans. In this one, the Browns going to be without D-end Ogbo Okoronkwo with a pectoral injury, linebackers Anthony Walker Jr. with a knee, and Jordan Kunazic with a calf, and safety Juan Thornhill also with a calf injury. Questionable O-lineman Joel Batonio with a back, Texans on the other side can be without their two high draft picks in C.J. Stroud at QB and Will Anderson at D-line. C.J. Stroud still in the concussion protocol and Anderson battling an ankle injury. Also out for this one, linebacker Blake Cashman with a hammy. Questionable wide receiver Nico Collins with a calf. D-lineman Malik Collins with a hip. And linebacker Denzel Perriman with an Achilles. No Stroud, no Tank Dell. It's going to have to be Flacco throwing the ball to the other team. I liked what D'Amico Ryans has done as a coach for the mentality he's brought to this squad. They look like they're out there trying to and expecting that they're going to be able to win the bulk of these games. Maybe that confidence, the defense can step it up for some turnovers. I don't see it happening. Give me Flacco to take the Browns to 10 wins with this one on the road. Next, the Green Bay Packers head to Carolina, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Packers going to be without tight end Luke Musgrave with a kidney injury. Hope he's all right. Uh, as well as safety Darnell Savage with a shoulder. Doubtful backup running back Emmanuel Wilson with a shoulder and offensive lineman Luke Tenuta with an ankle. Questionable running back A.J. Dillon with a thumb. Wide receivers Christian Watson with a hammy. Jaden Reed with a toe slash chest injury. And Dontavian Wicks with an ankle. On the defensive side, they're also listing T.J. Slayton on the D-line as questionable with a knee-slash-foot. And three DBs, Jair Alexander with a shoulder, Robert Rochelle with a neck, and safety, Rudy Ford with a back. Panthers on the other side, questionable tight end, Ian Thomas with an ankle, linebacker Claudine Sherilis with a knee, and safety, Sam Franklin Jr. with a quad and back. I'm taking the, I'm taking the Panthers to not win. I mean... They went to, they're 2-12, they're and 12. I'll admit, you know what I mean, we talked about this I think last week, I'm not sure if it was last week that I alluded to this, or maybe another one, it, no, 
It might be both, honestly, because they've played three divisional games in three weeks. The Panthers found a way. Like, this is a division where no team wants to win it. The Falcons did not play good. Uh, I don't think the Panthers played good either. But 9-7, they did it. They got it done. I mean... Oh, my goodness. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Give me the Packers. Give me the Packers on the road every time. Next, the Seattle Seahawks head to Tennessee to take on the Titans from Nissan Stadium. Long, long injury report for this one for both teams, unfortunately. Seahawks going to be without wide receiver D. Eskridge with a rib injury, safety Jamal Adams with a knee, and linebacker Frank Clark with an illness. Questionable, running back Kenneth Walker with a shoulder, Offensive lineman Evan Brown with an illness, and two corners in Devin Witherspoon with a hip, and Trey Brown with a heel-slash-knee. Titans are going to be without wide receiver Kyle Phillips with a hamstring injury, and a whole heaping of players on the defensive side. Starting with D-lineman Jeffrey Simmons with a knee, fellow D-lineman TK McClendon with a shoulder, two linebackers in Luke Gifford with a hammy, and Jack Gibbons with a back, and three DBs in Kayvon Wallace with a quad, Sean Burphy bunting with a hip, and Amani Hooker with a knee. Oh, by the way, also questionable, QB Will Levis with an ankle. Three tight ends in Chig Okonkwo with an illness, Josh Wiley with a knee, and Trayvon Wesco with a shin. And two more O-linemen in Aaron Brewer with an ankle and Daniel Brunskill with an ankle. Uh, I'm going to take Seattle by way of having enough players to be on the field based on these injury reports. Um, No, but in all seriousness, after the performance they put up against Philly at home, and Geno's coming back. They should be amped up for a playoff push here. Give me Seattle to win this one and avoid the trap game of Tennessee on the road. Our final 1 o'clock kick is the game we alluded to earlier, the Indianapolis Colts heading to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to take on the 6-8 and eight Falcons. Colts going to be without two O-linemen in this one, Jack Anderson with an illness and Braden Smith with a knee, as well as linebacker Sigun Alubi with a hip Questionable running back Zach Moss with a forearm injury and wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr., who's in the concussion protocol. Falcons, doubtful fullback Keith Smith with an ankle. I'm sure they were going to throw it to him 12 times and give him eight carries, depending on the way their offense goes. Uh, Questionable for this one, O-lineman Caleb McGarry with a knee, D-lineman David Onyemata with an ankle, and outside linebacker Bud Dupree with a back injury. I'm going to take the Colts in this game. Um... As much as it's hard to get a read on some of these middle-of-the-pack teams, I think the Falcons are reaching a little bit of a tipping point, and I'm not certain. I, I read reports before saying that Arthur Smith was going to be back next year. He wasn't on the hot seat, and I just can't believe that that's true, right? And nothing against Arthur Smith. I don't think he's a bad guy. I'm not trying to do that, you know, people always... uh Say, don't call for someone's job sort of thing. And I'm not wishing anything bad on the man's family or anything. But, I mean, he came in after they were 4-12, and fired Dan Quinn, and had an interim coach in Raheem Morris, and they've been 7-10, and 7-10, and and might be 7-10 and again. I mean, Dan Quinn took them to a Super Bowl. They were, they were right there, right? And before that, you had... Uh, Mike Smith, who took him to the postseason multiple times. How does Arthur Smith have this level of cachet? Like, I can't imagine this is not going to be a job opening at the end of the year. Um, who knows? Maybe the, maybe the team will play super hard for him and they'll go 9-8 and eight to end the year. Respectfully, I don't see that happening. Give me the Colts to win our final game in the 1 o'clock slate. 
Next, we got the Battle of Florida in the 4.05 time slot. The Jaguars heading to Tampa Bay. Not super far of a drive, I imagine, to take on the Buccaneers. Jaguars listing their starting QB, Trevor Lawrence, as questionable with an ankle injury and a concussion. Also questionable, wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee-slash-hammy. Tight end Brenton Strange with a foot. Corners Tyson Campbell and Christian Braswell. And safety Andre Sisco with a groin injury. Buccaneers going to be without wide receiver Rakeem Jarrett with a quad injury. Questionable, D-lineman Will Golson with a knee-slash-ankle. And safety Antoine Winfield Jr. with a calf. I want to say it really depends if we're going to get Trevor Lawrence out there, right? Because at the end of the day, if Trevor's not going to go, it's going to be a Bucks win, I think. Um, but with Trevor out there, all things equal, the Jaguars really are up against the wall, and I think Doug Peterson's going to be able to rally the troops for this one. Give me the Jags, assuming health for Trevor, on the road. Next, we've got what's probably our best matchup next to the Monday Night Football game. Some people have taken to calling it a little bit of a fraud check bowl. The Dallas Cowboys head to Miami, fresh off their loss to Buffalo, to take on the Dolphins, 425. The Cowboys are going to be without D-lineman Jonathan Hankins with a knee-slash-ankle injury. Doubtful O-lineman Tyron Smith with a back. Questionable O-lineman Matt Willetsko with a shoulder, as well as Zach Martin with a thigh. Safety Malik Hooker with an ankle, and D-lineman Viliami Fehoko with a knee. Another all-name team nominee, by the way. Dolphins. Going to be without O-lineman Robert Hunt with a hamstring injury. Questionable. Some names you might know. Wide receiver Tyreek Hill with an ankle injury. O-lineman Austin Jackson with an oblique. D-lineman Emmanuel Ogbo with a hammy and a lot in their secondary. Cam Smith at corner with a hammy. Xavier Howard with a hip. Elijah Campbell with a knee. And Javon Holland with ease for the second week in a row, I believe. Both knees. Um, I'm torn on this one, admittedly. Seeing the Jonathan Hankins injury kind of hurting the up-the-middle run stuff for the Dallas Cowboys. Not that that's necessarily where Raheem Mostert makes most of his money, but he can. Uh, as well, seeing the Tyron Smith injury. Then again, on the other side, you have to think, is Tyreek Hill going to go? Hearing he's going to go, we mentioned it before, um, but obviously not confirmed until we get there to the stadium on Sunday. I'm going to lean towards Miami. I think there's some parallels between these teams. There's, you know, obviously I think Miami's running game is significantly better, but Tony Pollard has some explosiveness as a back. You're talking CeeDee Lamb as a number legit number one wide receiver um, compared to a Miami wide receiving core that has some more depth in Waddle um, going along with Tyreek Hill and Braxton Berrios if you want to mix in some of those other guys as well. I'm going to take Miami to win this one at home. And I think Miami's setting themselves up. Look, I know. Right now, they're they're not in the lead for the one seed, but Baltimore's got a tough task against San Fran. If Baltimore loses, we keep be looking at a matchup for the one seed in the AFC next week, and you know I can't pass up a good narrative. Give me Miami to win this one on the road. Our only other 425 game, hold your horses, gambling fans. The Arizona Cardinals head to Chicago to take on the Bears. Um, Cardinals going to be without... Marquise Brown in this one with a heel injury, as well as two corners, and Bobby Price with a quad, and Garrett Williams with a knee. Questionable, fellow wideout Greg Dortch with a shoulder, D-lineman Kevin Strong with a knee, linebacker Victor Dimukeji with a foot injury, another all-name all nominee, and corner Antonio Hamilton with a calf. 
the Bears all-name winner. Several years running, I'd assume. Going to be without Equinemius St. Brown with a pec injury. Offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins with a concussion. And linebacker Noah Sewell with a knee. Questionable. Running back Deontay Foreman. Running back Travis Homer. And tight end Cole Komet. Um, I'm going to take the Cardinals, I guess. Why not? Why not? Why not Kyler get a win when they're kind of on the way out to try and, you know, push them down in the draft. Maybe not let them get to some of the guys they want anyway. Um, yeah, give me the Cardinals one. Sure. Next, we are talking Sunday night football. Ten years ago, me is so hyped for the New England Patriots heading to Denver to take on the Denver Broncos. Now, interestingly, this is a Sunday night game. It is listed on the NFL website as NFL Network. Usually NBC, but it's listed as NFL Network, likely due to some of the other shifting, because there's two two NBC games on Saturday. Um, and then we'll get into the Monday games here in a sec. But, okay, NFL Network, keep that in your mind here. Patriots going to be without Ramondre Stevenson at running back with an ankle, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster with an ankle, and safety Jabril Peppers with a hammy. Questionable special teamer slash wide receiver Matthew Slater with a hamstring injury, tight end Hunter Henry with a knee, offensive lineman Trent Brown with an ankle slash hand, Connor McDermott with a concussion. On the D-line, Christian Barmore with a shoulder injury, three linebackers in Juwan Bentley with a knee, Anthony Jennings with an illness, and Jelani Tavai with an ankle, and corner Jonathan Jones with a knee. Uh, Broncos, just listing three. They're going to be without Greg Dulcich, a tight end with a hammy slash foot. Offensive lineman Alex Palzuski with a knee. And off, and outside linebacker Nick Benetto with a knee as well. I'm taking Denver. This game means significantly more to them than it does New England. New England is just playing because, well, I mean, they give you a check every week. Um, and presumably for draft positioning and things of that sort. Uh, give me Denver to stay in the playoff hunt. Beating the lowly, sounds weird to say, the lowly Patriots on Christmas evening. Christmas Eve evening, that is. On Christmas, 1 p.m., the Vegas Raiders get to go under their tree and find future Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. And oh, by the way, they're on the road. Um, this game is going to be on CBS and Nickelodeon. All righty then. Give me the Chiefs to win this one at home. Look, as much as I like Antonio Pierce... And Devontae Adams is still a great receiver, and, you know, Josh Jacobs battling some injuries, but he's a great back, and Max Crosby's a tremendous pass rusher. This would be quite the undertaking to beat the Chiefs in Kansas City on Christmas. As I said, give me the Chiefs. Next, all you New Yorkers who are too busy, you know, looking under your tree the day before, like, oh, man, who, who are we going to, is it Aaron Rodgers? No, no, it's not. But don't worry, on Christmas at 4.30 p.m. from Lincoln Financial Field, you get to watch Tommy DeVito take on an angry Philadelphia Eagle team on a losing streak on Fox. Well, I think the Eagles win this game, and I'll say this. We did the fraud segment, and realistically, I didn't give you a great answer. I didn't tell you who the biggest fraud was, right? Some people have said, we didn't even talk about Miami. I threw in Baltimore. I'm kind of making the point that a lot of these guys that are not San Francisco kind of look a little fraudulent to me, right? If the Eagles lose to the Giants on Christmas, they're the frauds. Give me the Eagles to right the ship of sorts by winning on Christmas against the Giants. Next, we've got what's realistically a legitimate Super Bowl preview, potentially, at 8.15. Monday Night Football, 
the Baltimore Ravens head to Santa Clara, Levi's Stadium, to take on the San Francisco 49ers in a battle of 11-3 and teams. And I think you all know where I'm going based on the fact that we did the fraud check and I just said anyone who's not San Francisco, I think San Francisco is for real and I think they're going to send a little bit of a message on Monday night just like they did against the Eagles a few weeks ago. Are they going to blow out Baltimore? I'm not so sure about that considering Baltimore's ability to just run the ball and kind of make it a lower scoring affair. But I've got San Francisco coming out on top and looking like the class of the NFL as we go into Week 17. But just wait. You can't get off that easy. we got to pick the Week 17 Thursday night football game. And oh my goodness, the last one of the year is a true barn burner. Genuinely, we've got the New York Jets against the Cleveland Browns. Oh my goodness, live from Cleveland, Thursday night, December the 28th. Are you excited? Joe Flacco revenge game, baby. Give me Joe Flacco and the Browns to beat the Jets and keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, We've got a Saturday night game next week. We should be fine doing the episode Friday evening. But since we're here, it's Lions and Cowboys. You know what? No, I don't want to spoil the Lions at Cowboys pick. That's a good one. I mean, the the games we picked in advance from last episode, Bengals-Steelers. I mean, everybody would probably lean Bengals a little bit. Bills-Chargers. The Chargers are in disarray. We're not going to pick the Lions-Cowboys yet. We're going to let this week play out. We're not going to tip our hand here, and we're going to let it be. And you know what that is? The end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Episode number 183. Man, that is a big number. Of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thanks for joining us. Hope you all get the presents or the gifts that you're looking forward to for your holiday of choice, whatever you may be celebrating. Or if you're just looking forward to some time with the family, some time alone, some time with you and the television and some NFL football, well, I hope it's a tremendous weekend and we'll see you next week as we break down all this week's games and look forward to Week 17's matchups. And I'll save the Happy New Year for the end of next week's episode. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.